0: Our MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your
1: host, Stephen Halastic.
0: Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halastic, and I'm co founder of Financing Solutions. Uh, Financi- Financing Solutions uh, provides easy to set up lines of credit for small businesses, and I will be your host for today. If you are interested in looking into getting a line of credit for your business, please visit FSCreditLine.com. That's F-S as in Financing Solutions CreditLine.com. It's always a smart move to have a line of credit in place just in case. And over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, including two companies on the Inc. 500 fastest growing, And I can't tell you how important it has been throughout my lifetime that I've had lines of credit to turn to in case of emergencies. And that's why we created Financing Solutions. I would tell you that I love learning from people with business experience. And today, I'm excited to be speaking with John Finn from Tougher Minds. Dr. John Finn founded the award-winning Tougher Minds Consultancy and has three psychology-related degrees, including a Ph.D., Having trained and and coached over 10,000 people, he has worked in performance psychology, resiliency, and leadership science for over 20 years. John John also wrote his best-selling book, The Habit Mechanic, which has proven to change people's lives. People have said it is a manual for life and a toolkit for business success. John, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Thank you for having me, Stephen. So today's uh, topic really is, 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 a lot of it's based on your book. Um, you know. And so today's topic is Habit Mechanic, How Business Owners Develop Resiliency Teams and Leaders. Um, so have you found that through your consultancy, uh, you know, the, that you, the people you coach, the, the, the people you work with, that the lessons that you talk about in Habit Mechanic are just so evident?
1: I think the reason that I created the Habit Mechanic approach was that I saw that how we were trying to help people was pretty out of date in terms of our understanding of what drives people's behavior. So what I see is when you, sh- when you actually show people how their brain works, And what are the factors, the behavioral science factors that drive their behavior? It gets a lot easier, not only to manage yourself, but to create cultures where you can help your people to really thrive in what is a really challenging world that we live in. You you find that
0: business owners in general are not good. They don't like applying science to uh, uh, practical theory practical advice they don't like the do you find it they're like oh that's kind of hogwash or you know just give me just give me what i need to do right
1: yeah i think because i think a really good example here is sports science which has really transformed player fitness levels in all elite sports over the last 15 20 years before that How how did you get your players fit? Well, you ran them around the park. You did all these old-school things. Um, And retrospectively, when we we look at those things through a scientific lens, they weren't all really smart things to be doing. And I think you're right, Stephen, is that because we haven't really thought about behaviour scientifically a lot in the past, that everyone's got an opinion and everyone's opinion's valid... Well, it turns out that it isn't. And when we started to look inside the brain, and we've only had the tech to look inside the brain for about 20 years or so, we've got this technology called functional MRI scanners. It allowed us to look inside the brain in real time for the first time ever. We got that tech in affordable formats about 20 years ago. And when I was at school, and when you were at school, Stephen, even the top neuroscientists in the world didn't think that brains changed very much after you'd stopped physically growing. So we've all been conditioned to have these certain beliefs about humans, what humans can can do or can't do. And when you start to look at what the neuroscience tells us, what the behavioral science tells us, it can just supercharge everything that we're trying to do. I see that the biggest well, recent surveys show that at least 50% of businesses want to get better at managing change. And I see that where they invest their resources in managing change, it tends to be very process-orientated when you look at the big change management consultancies. But actually, the thing that's driving your business is people's behavior. Mm. And there's a science that we can tap into to actually help us to make it easier for our people to be at their best every day, for our teams to be at their best, for our leaders to be at their best. So, yeah, I think there is a bit of a a barrier, but actually when you start, you know, the the habit mechanic, it's 107,000 words. It took over 20 years to create. It's not some guy who's talking mumbo-jumbo. This is based on really good science. When you show them the science in a practical, accessible way, business leaders are compelled and they start to see results in their business. I'm not sure if that answers your question, Steve. It
0: does. Yeah. I think it it was great. Great answer. I think, you know, I do like personally, I do like understanding the why, but behind why someone is saying to do something like from a physical standpoint, like I, I brought this up in maybe one or two other episodes. Um, you know, I know it's a weird transition, but my wife, uh, Unexpectedly passed away last year, and so Sorry, um, thank you very much. And uh, certainly, it's the hardest thing that anybody could possibly go through. I was married for twenty six years, and what uh, what my advice, what I asked of my psychologist, my grief psychologist, to do to help me was, I said, I want you to tell me the science behind what I'm gonna what I go through. So she's, she's great at it. So, you know, a lot of it, like, and I've, st- I study on my own too, and I read and uh, go to a support group and, um, you know, you learn about how different, how different parts of the brain, it how it affects grief and why you feel the way you feel from a anatomy standpoint. And it, when I know the whole picture, I'm better able to make changes uh, understand things, you know, and, you know, to be very specific, it's to, you know, to get out of the grief pattern faster because it, you know, every, it, it's well known that you go through waves, but, uh, you know, my waves, uh, that I'm been able to handle, uh, she passed pretty recently, uh, has been a lot less extreme than people who are in my support group, who don't pay attention to any of the science, and you know, so you know, I've always been that way in business, and now I've been able to apply it to grief. Uh, you know, the un- the idea of the psychology uh, behind business decisions, and and so let me let me ask you a question that came up: that survey that you said about business leaders saying that fifty percent they want to be able to handle change better; fifty percent of them said that was that before covid or after covid
1: that was um yeah a report before covid actually by price cooper um and i can only imagine it's accelerated yeah. since since then. A, i so, think it's too. i mean yeah.
0: you know I, I think that uh change has at least I'm, I'm 57 years old and the the amount of acceleration of change in my lifetime is is been is unbelievable right and uh, one of the reasons why I do very well is because, and not just because I not only in business but it's in grief, I handle change really well. And uh, but I'm sure I'm sure with the COVID uh, situation, everybody's looking at this and saying, you know what, the amount of change that's going on in our lives, period, uh, regardless if it's war, economy, uh, uh, trends, well, you know, whatever it is. You know, how do, I, how do I deal with this?
1: Yeah, well, the only constant in the VUCA world, which I'm sure is a term your f- uh, listeners are familiar with, is change, and it's getting faster and faster and faster. The big um, change at the minute is a hybrid workplace or whatever you want to call yeah. it. We're changing the way we're physically working. And we've got what I call a learning war going on where we've got big business in the attention economy trying to direct our attention onto the things that help them to monetize their products. And they are very often not things that help us to be healthier, happier, and at our best. So we've got, we are been conditioned to pay attention to things and, and do things. And what I hear constantly from senior leaders in businesses, here are the two problems we've got. One is we know what we want our people to do, but we can't get them to do it. And then very specifically, the thing that we can't get them to do is more reflective, focused, clever problem-solving work. Everyone's been sucked into busy, busy, short-term gratification loops, I think largely because of the inter- the, the tech interfaces we've been using. And it's addictive. And the trouble workforces have is that more and more of that work is becoming automated. So... The things that give us immediate gratification and that satisfy the limbic regions of our brain and are b- increasingly becoming automated and we can re- we can do them with technologies we don't need our people to be doing those jobs we need our people to be stepping back thinking properly and I think one of the one of the basic things I'm sure you've learned about Stephen in your journey is if your brain isn't working properly you're not going to be able to do do anything cleverly in the way that you think. Because if your brain's not working properly, you're just going to be doing these basic survival-type habits, which are worrying and dwelling and beating yourself up, and you build the habits of doing that. And what we need to be helping our people to do, therefore, first and foremost, is getting their brain to work properly. And what we've seen in the pandemic is, you know, some people not even leaving the house for a week. Some people working in bed. Some people not starting work until 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, no wonder they can't turn up or be focused in a nine o'clock meeting. So we've got to help people to get their brains working properly. We've got to help people then to step back and reflect and analyze their habits and work out just one tiny habit at a time, what they can do just to be a little bit better. So if you want your business to get really good at change, it's about empowering your people to get good at changing themselves, making these tiny little adjustments, which is essentially building new habits. So let's uh,
0: let's get into the real practical end of this. Um, if you were, you I mean, you're running your own business right now, so you are. Um, what's the number one thing that you would do to build a resilient, a, uh, a a good team, and a good leader? You know, to me, those are really three different categories, honestly. You know, building resiliency, building teams, and building leaders. I mean, I think you have to have a strategy that's
1: different for all three of those things. I mean, would you agree with that or no? Well, there is some crossover because they're all driven by human beings. If we're thinking about the resilient individual, teams are driven by uh, humans, leaders are humans. So they're all run by a brain. The brain is broadly, well, the, our brain has evolved to do certain things. And our behavior is driven by certain things. When I say behavior, I just mean what you think and what you do. And I think the first thing to recognize, and this is the reason why most change fails, is because we significantly underestimate the power of, or we significantly rather overestimate the power of conscious behavior. And we underestimate the impact of unconscious behavior. So we think if they know it, we've told them what to do now. This is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be doing it this way now. They'll do it. Well, we don't know what we sh- we don't do what we know we should do. In the UK, more people than ever before know that they should eat five portions of fruit and veg a day, and they agree, most agree, that's a good idea, and we should walk ten thousand steps a day, Most agree that's a good idea. But last year, the NHS, which is the, our national health service, which is the biggest company in Europe, spent half of its annual budget. On diseases that emerge because people don't eat five portions of fruit and veg a day and they don't walk 10,000 steps. So we have to recognize that most of what individuals are doing, teams are doing, leaders are doing is unconscious, mindless behavior. And we would understand that at least 98% of it is mindless. So we call it a habit. We're just in these habit loops. So they're all running on habits. So that, that's the commonality between all, all, all of the three groups. If we think about the individual, the first thing we want to do to help the individual work well is help them to get their brain working properly, which means they need good sleep, good diet, good exercise habits, but they need good social connections at work. They need to feel safe. They need to feel like they're respected and they're trusted. And if you don't have those conditions at work, people's brains are not working properly. And because the only constant in the modern world is change, if our, bra- if our people's brains are not working properly, they're not going to be able to use the part of their brain, their prefrontal cortex, that allows them to think creatively and solve problems. So we've got to create the culture that allows our people to feel safe for their brains to work properly. And we, we call that developing people's habit mechanic intelligence. And that's a huge part of the book. How do you scale that into teams then? Well, humans are uniquely good at, if we look at other, compared to other animals on the planet, they are uniquely good at working intelligently in teams. So the cornerstone of that is communication and collaboration. So humans are not the biggest, the fastest, or the strongest animal on the planet. The reason we've prospered it's because when we work together, when we communicate and we collaborate, then we're better at solving problems, whether that's creating fire or creating a new vaccination for COVID. So the, that's the power of teams. But if, everyone, if every individual member's brain's not working well, you're not going to get the superpower of communication and collaboration. And that's harder when you're you're working remotely because mirror neurons that allow you to read each other's emotions, et cetera, they don't work as well when you're communicating remotely. If your people are not sleeping properly, if they're not exercising properly, looking after their brain, that's going to be more difficult for them to contribute to the communication and the collaboration. If you've got new people who've joined your business over the last few years and they wouldn't have been onboarded in the same way, there's not going to be the same trust and safety, et cetera, there. So... Also, at the heart of teams working well, brains need to work well. That to supercharge that, then we need to have really central in our culture that a really important thing. If we're going to be at our best, is that everyone's just trying to work on themselves and do a little bit better every day, because the world's becoming more and more challenging. So it needs to be okay in our culture, in our in our teams, to make mistakes and to share vulnerability and not to be perfect, and that's going to fuel the trust and not only get people's brains working well, but actually proactively getting themselves working on themselves. We call that a purposeful development culture. If you can pack your business full of people who are turning up every day wanting to get a little bit better, that's the sort of business that's going to win in the VUCA world, not the businesses with the smartest people or the most money. You've got to get your people working up every day, turning up every day, wanting to get a little bit better. And the role of the leader then is to supercharge all that. So the role of the leader is, first of all, they've got to be doing those things, looking after themselves, um, developing their habit mechanic intelligence, respect, all all that stuff, creating a safe uh, environment. But they've got to then be thinking, how do we make it as easy as possible for our people to be at their best? And how do we create the culture that allows us to do that? So we've got a few different models that we explain in the book. One is the team power uh, model. One is the team power leadership model. But it's always about using neuroscience and behavioral science to make it easier for people's brains, to get people's brains working well and connect what they're working on to a bigger mission of what the, the team is trying to achieve.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, what stuck in my head uh, was when you talked about the, you know, the five servings of vegetables and the 10,000 steps a day. And we, we, uh, we all know that's the right thing to do. And yet a large majority of the people don't do it. Right. So as a business leader, like w- when you said that, I was thinking, you know, what, what type of effect, you know, it, am I going to have any effect on people? Right. If I, you know, can't say, you know, go eat your fruits and vegetables five portions a day and they'll, they're not going to do it. They already know it's important. They're not going to exercise. So then I thought, all right, let me start addressing the things that I do have control over and, and work in that way. Because when you mentioned, do they feel safe? do are, is there a social aspect to our company? Uh, are we, are we uh, doing what I, what we preach in our missions? Do we have a mission statement? Do we have a defined culture? Do we have values that we, that we are true and that we really, you know, believe in? Um, so, uh, you know, I think, so I think starting off with the thing, because keep in mind the, a lot of our, all my listeners are small businesses. They're under five million in revenue, wanting to be over ten million in revenue, and um, and so the owner maybe has a smaller team, twenty, thirty people, and you know they they do have a big effect on because it's such a smaller team. So you know what I'm what I'm hearing you say is, you know, and you talked about this at the tail end is. You know, number one is it you better lead by example too. And you know, if you're seriously unhealthy as a leader, <laughs> uh, and you're telling you to tell your people to get a good night's sleep and eat right and exercise, and you're seriously ha- having struggling with that yourself, you know, I'm not saying that's the highest priority, but maybe you got to do something about that. And then the other thing is start to address listening to your people and seeing what they really feel that like they need and then really putting a plan in place. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And we can absolutely supercharge that if we understand the behavioral science. The trouble with behavioral science is that it's – I suppose that the IP is held by academics that are dispersed throughout the world and they've all got their own little piece of the jigsaw puzzle. And they're kind of incentivized to claim that their piece of the jigsaw puzzle explains everything about why humans do what they do. And invariably it doesn't. So what I've spent a lot of time doing is getting all those different pieces together and making sense of them. So we can actually use those insights to help leaders make change in their businesses. So they can actually get their people to do what they know, they, what they want them to do. And so we create this thing called the nine action factors model, which is, which is in the book, but to, give you an example of how it works and what actually drives what we do. So you talked about social influence uh, as one component. There are nine factors that drive our behavior. And if we want our people to do things, we've got to consider all the nine factors. And all these factors are always on. They're always switched on, but sometimes they're they're driving our behavior in the wrong direction. And the sort of behaviors we want our people to, to adopt are what I call complex behaviors. So more strategic thinking, more um, better leadership development. These are complex behaviours. Simple behaviours are if you want your people to check their phone more at work and to eat more donuts and to watch more Netflix. Then you don't have to worry too much about behavioural science thing because it's already on your side. So that that behaviour is very limbic region friendly. So a good example of a complex behaviour that we can we can use to think about the non-action factors is a learning to drive example because learning to drive is a complex behavior and it's something that most people have done so when you learn to drive let's think about all the factors all the nine factors and how they're activated or not to help you to learn how to drive so the first factor what we call the mindset factor if you don't believe you can learn to drive you'll never be able to do it So you need people in your organization that have what we call a habit mechanic mindset. They believe that they can change. They want to change. They're open-minded to that. The second factor when you're learning to drive is what we call the tiny factor. You you accept when you're learning to drive that after the first lesson, you're probably not going to have driven anywhere and it's going to take you six plus months and 65 hours worth of lessons. Whereas with other change we're trying to create, If we haven't done it after the first week or so, we give up and we beat ourselves up, both at a personal level and an organisational level. So we can change, but we have to break it down into tiny little steps. Yeah, know where we want to get to, know what the top of the mountain looks like, the mission, but recognise what are the tiny steps that are going to get us there. Then we've got to think about what we call personal motivation. If you've learned to drive, there was a bigger reason why. I had to get the kids to school. I had to get to work. I wanted to be the first person in my peer group to do it. So if you can connect the change you want your people to make or you want to make personally to bigger, more meaningful goals, that's going to make it easier to make the change. The next factor is what we call knowledge and skills, personal knowledge and skills. So that's why you have driving lessons because Without You you may have all the motivation in the world to want to learn to drive, but without getting new knowledge and skills, you're not going to be able to do it. So often the things we want our people to be doing differently, they need more knowledge and skills t- to manage stress, to be a great leader, to be more productive. Mm. And closely connected to that is the next factor, which is, which is called community knowledge and skills. It's really helpful if you're learning to drive, if your parents know how to do it, because they can give you some advice and they can take you for a free driving lesson in the supermarket car park at the weekend. So it's helpful if whatever we're trying to learn how to do, people around us know how to do it as well. That's why we create really simple language out of quite complex neuroscience and behavioral science concepts so people can readily share them. The next factor which you talked about is social influence. So if you think, if, if your father doesn't believe the speed limit is a valid idea, when you're learning to drive, that's not going to be a great role model for you. If your mother doesn't believe in car insurance, it's not going to be a great role model. So we are influenced by what people, important people in our lives are doing. So we've got to make sure that we use that factor to harness positive change. The next factor is reward and penalty systems. If you drive well, you get rewarded, you get your license, you return your license, your car insurance goes down. If you drive poorly you get penalized you might not get your license if you do you get points you get monetary fines your car insurance goes up eventually you lose your license so we've got to think what are the rewards for ad- adopting this new behavior what are the penalties if we don't then we've got triggers on my driving that remind us to drive safely so There's a ping, ping, ping now if you don't put your seatbelt on. There's a speedometer in your car telling you how quickly you're going. There is a line in the middle of the road literally reminding you which side of the road to drive on. There are police cars, there are traffic lights, there are speed cameras, all designed to remind you what to do because governments know most of driving is habit. And when you remove those triggers, uh, things go to pot. And the final factor is what we call brain states. So if you learn to drive when you're sleep-deprived, it's going to be hard to do it well. If you learn to drive and you don't feel safe with your driving instructor, it's going to be hard to do it well. So the, that's the behavioral science, Stephen, that's driving our behavior all of the time, yet it's largely invisible to us. When we understand what it is, we can start to harness it and tap into it. And that's what the habit mechanic approach is all about. So first of all, to become a habit mechanic, you, use, you learn how to use that science to influence your own behavior. And then you become a chief habit mechanic, which is also in the book, which shows you how to use exactly the same science to create a culture that makes it really easy for your people to do the things that are going to help your, your business be successful.
0: Are, are you seeing like, let's say the business owners and the leaders of, of companies that are not, are not huge, smaller companies, um, you know, I'm sure they don't always bring you on board. Maybe as a, consul- as a coach, they might do that. But if, if over 50% of the leaders are saying that change is their biggest problem. And what we're saying is prioritize what you think you can affect to help improve the quality of the work that your people are doing. And let's, are you seeing that the business leaders are saying, I need, a, a, a mechanism, I need a habit mechanic, so to be, so to speak to address change as my number one priority? Is that what they're, is, is that turning into like, is addressing having our people deal with change well,
1: a high priority amongst business owners? I think it absolutely is, but they can't articulate it like we are now because we haven't really thought about this as a science before where- So they see,
0: they see a problem and then you're able to say, well, it's because that you're, your team isn't accepting
1: change really well. Yeah, it's because, look, these factors, these action factors are all in this direction. I was just I doing a coaching session this morning with a very senior leader in a big organization, not a small one. But she was describing to me this problematic direct report that she's got. Um, and actually, it turns out that the company is... So this this person's behavior is really problematic and it has been for a long time. They're pivotal to the business because of the knowledge they've got the company gave this person um, a a, a financial incentive to stay in the business. So they're rewarding the bad behavior. They don't think of it like, well, that's what they're doing. This guy's been told, all right, what I'm doing is great, fantastic, you're giving me more money to do it. So I honestly think, Stephen, that until very recently, the ability to be good at making change in your business wasn't all that important. You could kind of wing it a little bit, and sometimes if what you tried worked great, if it didn't, not such a big problem. I think post-pandemic, it hasn't become an optional extra anymore to be good at change. Everyone must be good at change, and I haven't seen an approach like that. Haven't Remember, this book's only it's only been out seven weeks or so. Oh, so so it's this is this is brand new, and I don't hear anyone else talking about this in the same way. Even from the behavioral science lens, people say, "Oh, yeah, behavioral science. We know this. We know that." I saw an article in the Financial Times a few weeks ago, which is a big broadsheet newspaper in the UK. It was on the front cover on a Saturday in the in the mast, and it said it said why nudge theory is broken. And it had most people have heard of nudge theory, um, developed by two prominent Amer- American uh, psychologists. I think they won a Nobel Prize for, for that work. So this journalist who's some expertise in behavioral science he's written a few books about it i read the article for me this guy doesn't understand behavioral science he's saying nudge theory is behavioral science it isn't it's a tiny element of it it only explains a little bit about why people do what they do it doesn't explain everything about why people do what they do only when you put all the factors together do you get a serious explanation as to why people behave like they behave so i think we're at, we're on the cusp of a new understanding here stephen which people haven't had the opportunity to hear about before, never mind adopting their own businesses. And I genuinely think that the business leaders, big or small business leaders, who start to use this new science, are just going to beat the competition every time because they're going to get so much slicker at actually getting their teams to do what they want them to do to help the business achieve its goals. Is there another word that a business owner
0: can use instead of change? So like, let's, let's say I'm the, I'm the you know, I'm the leader of this business, this big business. And I go, uh, okay, we've all, you know, all the management team, we've all identified that our team accepting change and dealing with change is the biggest problem. So then I go out to, you know, everybody and I say, well, hey, you know, we're going to start, we're, we've identified that it's the, you know, based on the surveys and based on everything else that, Our biggest problem is people accept, I'm cutting to the chase. Uh, You know, our biggest problem is that we don't accept change really well and we don't deal with change really well. So we are going to uh, do training on how to accept change well. And this is how we're going to do it, right? Is there another word for change that is better palatable for people to buy into that idea?
1: Well, habits. Is describing the process of making change. Oh, so so best I mean, practices,
0: habits
1: uh, that that you know you could word it that way. Yeah, because actually we've gone down a path at work where, in order to improve employee engagement, we thought right, put the pool table in the staff room, put get free beer on tap, all these hedonic things. <laughs> But actually, that doesn't make people happy. It might make you feel better in the short term. We know that for us to feel happy, it's a, it's a three part equation. One, you've got to get your brain working well. That means good sleep, good diet, good exercise, good uh, personal relationships. Your brain's going to work well. Second part of the equation is hedonism, is doing things that give you short term gratification. The third part of the equation is doing meaningful work and mo- putting, putting the efforts and the energies, delaying short-term gratification so you can actually feel like you've achieved something good. Now, the trouble with the VUCA world is, and actually it's been exacerbated by the pandemic, it's easier than ever to do the hedonic stuff and it's harder than ever to get your brain working well and to do meaningful work. So the way I understand it is if you if you want to have engaged employees that feel good about working for you, that actually fulfill their roles and responsibilities and help your business to thrive, it's essential that we get them working on themselves so that they are growing and they are feeling better about themselves and they are turning up with a better brain to contribute to what, what's in the business.
0: Well, maybe in that case you don't make a standard training course across the company wide you make it in you make it uh, you know Chinese in the United States Chinese menu where you know people would say yeah I'm having a problem with this, I'm having a problem with that and all these things would allow people to have a more fulfilling job because they would get more out of it. So the ultimate goal is to have people feeling that they are doing meaningful work.
1: That's the. That sounds like that's the ace in the hole. Yeah, and that meaningful work starts on yourself. Yes, I'm working on myself, and that's exactly yes. how we designed our our program. The books designed like this, and I think the company can help though too. Like I, the thing I hear the
0: most uh, from people who are working for companies is you know Zoom heaven, Zoom hell, not heaven, hell, Zoom hell. Like we're meeting after meeting after meeting in Zoom. And by the way, this was happening before Zoom as well, but the company could have, they can have control over that too. So, you know, there are the tools that you could give to your employees, but there's also the tool that the, the business itself could use to uh, address things that are commonality issues across the board, you know, uh, you know, I such as, uh, you know, no Zoom meetings from, you know, eleven to two or something like that. No Zoom meetings after six. You know, whatever. Um, just that's a minor, you know, thing. But, um, would you agree with what I've said?
1: Yeah. So the way I would see it is, first of all, you got to t- teach your people to self manage. Yeah. So think you got to teach them how to drive drive themselves in the new uh, post-pandemic world. We, we have the metaphor of the team moving up the mountain together. They're all on their individual snowmobiles. You've got to teach them how to drive the snowmobile. That takes time. And I, I just wrote an article in Forbes actually about how self-management is the most important skill now in the in the hybrid workplace. The second thing then that businesses have to do is they have to help their people help each other. So become driving instructors, if you like. We call them team power leaders. Some are very formal, like sort of coaching. uh, Some of the work that me and my colleagues do where you really know how to help people build better habits. Some are less formal. They're just more supportive and parental type, you know, driving instructors. And the third step relating to what you just said uh, about the the Zoom meetings, et cetera, C-suite have to create the highway code that makes it really easy for people to drive safely so if you want people to do more clever focused work but they just find themselves in back to back zoom meetings 5 days a week well they're not going to be able to do clever focused work so we have to set the rules at the highest level the highway code if you like using behavioral science to make it easy for our people to do to to build better habits so yeah it's all got to work together and we work at all the all three levels
0: so, the, the, in summary, the book for um, Habit Mechanic that you wrote has the, the key concept in that if you, the reason we do things that we do and the patterns that we have is because of habits. And the only way to break a habit. For you know, there's steps, I'm sure, which is recognize that you have a habit or that you're you have a pattern. And then, you know, there there's all the science behind certainly how to go from there. But is that in essence the theme of the book, Habit Mechanic is is that you have to recognize that there is this process that we as human beings do on a consistent basis?
1: Yeah. So just thought of Extend the clarity there, Stephen. So we always, whether it's in the book or elsewhere, we start by teaching you about how your brain works. So you understand, this is how my brain works. These are the habits. And we show you how to start analysing your habits then. And then we show you how to start building better habits, better habits for sleep, diet, exercise, stress management, confidence, productivity, performing under pressure. Once you can do that yourself and you're working yourself, the next step, which is the final part of the book, is, well, how do I then create a culture that makes it really easy for my people to continue doing that, not just individually, but working together as well and working on the, the problems our business is trying to solve for the business or for our clients. And So you then learn to become a chief habit mechanic, and the book shows you exactly how to do that. So that, yeah, you've got to learn about how you, how you work, analyze your own habits, start working on your own habits, and if helping others do better is a priority for you as well, learn how can you use the behavioral science to make it easier for people to keep to doing that individually and collectively in a way that helps your team actually achieve its objectives in a way that you know whatever the objective is today it's probably going to change a little bit in six months because that's the way the world is going. There'll be a new technology that comes in. So we're we're always changing whether we like it or not because we're being conditioned by you know people change to, to adopt zoom or, or teams or not to go to work anymore but it seems much easier for us to make changes that are really unhelpful for us being healthy happy and at our best in the 21st century life because we're, we've been around for over 300,000 years and we're designed to survive so if we want to help people to be at their best in the modern world then we need we need support you know this this should be taught at schools but it isn't because it's you know it's pretty new insight and it, the science is very complex, and that's why it's taken me and my team 20-plus years to put it all together in a really accessible way that people can actually use in their daily lives individually yeah. and collectively, and not just at work. You can use it at home. We teach this to little kids as well. We teach it to CEOs of some of the biggest companies in the world. We teach it to uh, companies that who are listening to this podcast. We teach it to elite athletes, to Premier League managers. So these are transferable life skills that – someone should have really taught us, but we
0: didn't. I was just going to say that, you know, I, my son just graduated from college and, um, and I just thought, you know, colleges, you know, I read an article for the first time, college enrollment went down and, um, you know, there was multiple factors involved and, you know, these colleges, they just have to start getting more aggressive about, the learning that they're doing and more progressive, I meant, I'm sorry. And, you know, maybe they got to start not addressing the intelligence part of the human being. Maybe they need to start addressing the habits, the soft skills, you know, all those things um, to to really make a big difference in someone's education of their life.
1: Yeah. And that's why I'm very passionate that, habit mechanic intelligence, which is absolutely the core of of the book, is the most important intelligence we can learn. I get it. And and in the book, we break down learning and how it happens and our misconceptions about it. We're all learning all the time. Nothing I learned at university, I've got three degrees. Well, I say nothing. The vast majority of it I could find on Google now. You know, Knowledge now, we live in a knowledge economy. So yeah, the institutes can't be about knowledge anymore. They have to be about helping people to develop and adapt. And if I was a university, I'd have the hybrid mechanic curriculum as the founder. This is what everyone's doing when they come in. This is how we do it here. These are your skills for life. They're going to not only supercharge how they engage with the programs at university, what they get out of university, they're also going to supercharge what they get out of the rest of their life because these skills are more important than ever before. We don't have the factory model anymore where you learn your skill when you're young or you trade and you just keep doing it until the day you retire. Now we live in a world, you know, the hundred year life where our young people are going to have several careers. They're going to have to keep retraining. So you're absolutely fundamental. Well, that's
0: all the time we have for today. It was great discussion. I I really liked your book and, you know, I'm definitely going to read it. I, I think everybody should. I, I, and I, agree with you. And I think it is the basis for everything that you do is they understand how the brain works and why you do what you do. So um, I'd like to thank so very much, John Finn from Tougher Minds for coming on to today's podcast. Uh, just remember his his book is Habit Mechanic. Um, and if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And also please, as a favor to me, uh, you know, the Uh, Entrepreneur MBA podcast has grown tremendously and what really helps us if you can put a review in for us uh, it really helps the algorithm tell other people about us as well and if you like uh, if you're looking for a line of credit for your business uh, please feel free to give us a call at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com that's fs as in financing solutions creditline.com John, if anyone wants to get an hold of you, how would they go about doing that?
1: If you visit the website, which is tougherminds.co.uk, just contact us through the through the website is the easiest way to do it. Yep. Again, that's tougherminds.co.uk.
0: Yes. And it's uh, good stuff. And uh, John, thanks so much for coming on today.
1: No, thank you, Stephen. I'm also quite active on LinkedIn, so please connect with me on LinkedIn. Very good. So today a summary, just the thing,
0: uh, you know, I think, you know, there's this really famous book that I, I, and I actually know the author, uh, it's called Start With Why. It's an older book. Um, it's ri- written by Simon. Uh, and um, it is, I think it all starts with knowing why you're doing something. And to me, what I got out of today was knowing how your brain works is the very start of Why? and um, why you do what you do, starting off there and then working from that point of view. So I I think John's book would be a really good read for any um, business leader. So other than that, I wanna wish everybody a fantastic day. Please take care of yourself. Life is more than just your business. And I know how we all think You know, our business is our baby, but you have to take care of yourself. So make sure you get out there, exercise, eat your five vegetables, (laughs) get plenty of sleep. The rest will come. Everybody have a great day.